Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. You are awesome. You are wonderful. I'm asking you for spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'm asking you will speak through me your heart to your people. I'm asking that you will help me never to distort your word in any way, but to speak it the way you will have spoken it. Thank you because you have answered our prayer. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. I'm starting a message series today, and we're going to continue for a few weeks. We're going to talk about what I call God seekers wanted. God seekers wanted. Throughout the scripture, one of the greatest desires of God are people who seek him. In the scripture we read, uh, Verse 14 or so, verse 13, 14, the Lord told Israel, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is always looking for true seekers, people who are pure in their motive to seek him. And that's very, very important. In Psalm 53, verse 4, David said, God looks down from heaven. Actually, verse 2 now. I'm reading verse 2 and 3. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there is any who understand. Any who seek God. But he said, everyone has turned away and have become corrupt. You know, corrupt in their intent. It doesn't mean there were no religious people. That's the, that's the, it doesn't mean there were no people we were going to church, we were doing all kinds of religious activities. It doesn't mean there were no people who were even fervent, but they've become corrupt in their motive. There's no one who does good, even not one. And Apostle Paul kind of inferred, you know, this same scripture in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, when he says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So finding seekers, true God seekers, is usually more difficult than we think. I think as it was then, so it is today. Even Jesus dealt with that constantly in his ministry, trying to expose people's hearts. Because a lot of time when people claim to come to God, and it happens to most of us, our motives are not, are not as pure. It's usually a lot of times corrupted. Uh, and that's what the Bible is saying here. So even though a lot, most times when people come to God's house, we face the same dilemma. We come, even when we think we come, we are passionate, we are zealous, oftentimes 
the motive don't always start right. The good thing is sometimes it becomes right when we stay there. So we do see people who have their motive purified, you know, somehow in the process. We see a few people who start for the right reason. But rarely do I find or will you find people who really come to God truly for the right reason. All right, most of us have a huge amount of selfishness in us and all of us really. So usually our motive is corrupt. And that's why the Bible declares no one who seeks God. Everyone is corrupt. Most of us have idols in our hearts. Uh, even though we claim we want him, we seek him, we love him, uh, but usually it's not as perfect. So we're going to talk about, I mean, we're going to discuss how to become God chasers, God seekers. You know, how to get to a place where our motive is, you know, is checked, purified and confirmed, because really that is where the true joy of serving God lies. So I did a little search, and I came up with about seven different kinds of seekers. You know, you know, I was able to find some of them from the scripture, I mean, clear examples. I mean, some of them are just examples of what I've come across, uh, mainly uh, with my more than 25 years, you know, of being in church, or very active in church. Amen. The first categories, are, you know, I will call them the bread seekers, all right, the bread seekers. And we know Jesus makes reference to those in John chapter 6, verse 26. You know, Jesus challenged people who came to him. He said, you did not come to me for anything because you were really intrigued, because you really want to find out more, all right? But really, you came because I fed you yesterday. All right? You know, you just had some loaves of bread, and now you, you want more. And you find out that many believers, believers are like that. They are simply there for the bread. They're looking for something. They want a wife, they go to church. They want a husband, they go to church. You know, they want blessing, they go to church. They just want God to bless them, right? They want God to do something for them. We, have, we need money, we go to church and pray, right? We're looking for a job. All of a sudden, we, we become prayer warriors, right? <laughs> All of a sudden. You know, things are, you know, we need something, then we become very, very serious with God. That tends to be, you know, we, you know we, have, we start a family, we start having kids. Oh, I want my kids to grow up and know God. Then they start coming to church. You know, those kind of things are what is what Jesus referring to. People who are simply bread seekers. The problem with bread seekers is when the bread dries up, all right? What happens when the bread dries up? You know, we read the story in Ruth, right? Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, and just left Judah because he was a bread seeker. Because there was famine in Judah for a period of time. You know, Elimelech said, we got to get out of here. You know, God is not doing something for me now, so I'm leaving. And that's what tends to happen. That's why you see a lot of people when they're down, when they need something. And I've come across so many people, even in the church, who come here trusting God for something. When the prayer is answered, they disappear. Or they become busy, you know. (laughs) They become busy. 
You know, that, that's the problem. You know, so there are bread seekers. And God is not looking for bread seekers. There is another category of people. I call them fire insurance seekers. I mean, they're here because, frankly, they don't want to go to hell. That's all. <laughs> they grew up in church. They had, at least they believe that somehow when we die, some people are going to heaven, some people are going to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I used to be like that. That was my motivation when I came to Christ. I grew up in church, so I just said, you know, I don't want to go to hell. So let me, you know, let me, let me try something. Let me figure out what to do, all right? And I postponed it a little while. I said, you know what, I don't want to go to hell, but I want to enjoy a little bit. So I kept debating for years. I'll be debating in my mind. You know, maybe I should calculate these things well, you know. When I get so old, I get this. I just become serious with God. So at least I just avoid that fire, all right? But that has changed now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So many people, are, they came here for fire insurance. The problem with people who come for fire insurance, they become minimalist. You know, when you buy insurance, you, you don't want to pay too much for insurance. How many of us are like that, right? You know, I remember I used to always shop for my insurance because I was just never happy. Each time I look at the bill, I'm like, man, and I've never used it at all. You know, I've never had an accident. My, my house hasn't caught fire, and I'm paying this amount of money. I'm, I'm shopping again. All right? I think until I found some insurance that is, I, I'm happy now. I haven't shopped for a while. But that's the problem when you're a fire insurance seeker. You become minimalist. You just want to say, how little can I do in my service for God to still make it to heaven? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, you're just always, you know, calculating that. God is not looking for fire insurance seekers. And if you're a fire insurance seekers, you know, I, I hope that would change today. Amen. But there are also a group of people who are, they have a much more darker motive. I call them the power seekers. The power seekers. There was a guy in the Bible, Acts chapter 8, he was called Simon the sorcerer. You know, so Simon was uh, a sorcerer, so he, was, he had magic power, voodoo power. He, he could, he, you know, so he was well respected. He had a lot of influence. So he had a lot of influence in the area, uh, and everybody just respected him. Everybody revered him. Everybody thought he was important when he speaks. Everybody listens. Then all of a sudden, Philip came and preached the word. People got saved. And he got saved. That's actually, if you read the story very well, he himself actually got saved. But he never lost the ambition to control, to have power, right? Even though he also became saved, threw away all his iron, uh, all his uh, Whatever he was using, all his voodoo, all his, he, he threw everything away, became saved. And Philip sent for the apostles to come and pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit. And the apostles came and prayed for the people, and they lay hands on people, and you know, people started speaking in tongues, people started falling under the anointing, and everybody's like, whoa, this is awesome. 
And it's like, hmm, this is what I'm looking for. I like to be able to do that. I like to reclaim my power back. Can you imagine if I can do that? If I can just lay my hands on people and they just fall, they just get healed, or they just... And he actually said, he actually worked out the plan. So he went and wrote a very, very fat check, and he called the apostle aside, and he said, you know, I have an offering to give you, but I want to key into that anointing. You know, that's, that's what people use today, right? They say, let's, let's key into the anointing. You know, let's, let's, let's get some impartation. But he wanted to buy impartation. And the apostle told him, your money perish with you. Yeah, I wish more preachers would do that today. In fact, preachers even encourage that kind of behavior now, right? They say you sow into the anointing. I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> Here are some of these terminologies are like, wow, sow into the anointing, you know, you know, transfer. We, we, we know the anointing doesn't transfer by money. At least we know that. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing like that in the scripture, right? We lay hands. And the Bible clearly says, freely you receive, freely you give. So nobody should really say, you know, I have a prophecy for you. One of our sisters a few years ago here came to me and said, you know, the prophet called me and said he, just, he had some revelation about me and he needed to pray for me. But before he prays, he asked me to send him $250. So she came for advice from me. I said, please, don't, don't waste your $250. We need some offering here in church too, right? <laughs> All right? But I said, that's, that's, that's not godly. There's nothing godly about that. There's nothing scriptural about that. You don't exchange God's gift for money. All right? But there are people like that. Uh, we don't have them here by God's grace. Amen? All right, we don't have power seekers, at least I hope. Uh, but I'm sure many people will listen to this message all over the world. So, but there are also a, a, a fourth group. They are gain seekers. It's another dark group. They are in need for personal gain. You know, they come to they are serving God. Really, some of them might be preachers, but really, what is driving them is person again. In fact, Apostle Paul referred to those people in Philippians 3, verse 18. He said, many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. He said their God is their belly. You know what? They are not really serving God. I mean, they, they, they won't tell you that, but they are here for something. They're here. Some people go to church for business, connection. The reason why they're in church is who I can sell something to, who I can do something with. That's, that's, that's the goal, and that's what drives everything. Some, you know, so it's important to really know that there are people who are against seekers, that's their primary motivation. But there are also people who are not just seeking, they are driven. They are driven by something. Uh, they are driven by life problems. 
And I know a lot of people become Christians. That's probably a very, very huge group of people when you go to any church, especially any Pentecostal church today. A large portion are driven by some, some problems, personal problems that got them to say, you know what, I need to become serious with God and we need to become prayer warriors. All right? Some are driven by family problems, you know, life problems, fear of, you know, witches, wizards, witch doctors, some family thing, some curse they're afraid of, something that is driving them and they just run to God. All right? A lot of, I mean, sorry to say, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's actually accurate. A lot of Pentecostal, especially in the African uh, community, tend to really play to this group very well. All right? I mean, you see all kinds of prayer points. They pray. It's just assume you're, you're running away from some problem and we can save you. All right? The problem is people in that category, if they don't switch, they miss the joy of knowing God. All right, they make the joy of intimacy. It's never there. And it's always from one problem to the other. Unfortunately, people like that run into people who invent problems. You have, I've listened to preachers, you see, they just invent problems for people. You see, they just, because of course they need the business, right? They need you to keep coming. So the problem, of course, must not be solved. If the problem is solved, then you stop. <laughs> right? So if this problem is solved, they said there might be another problem. <laughs> you know, so, so they keep inventing problems, preaching messages that are just, they have no relevance. They are not in the Bible. They are conjured. I mean, you, sometimes I listen, I'm like, where is this coming from? Reality that are often not true. Somebody is not married, they just say, oh, you have a spirit husband. I mean, things like that. I mean, I mean, they come up with things like that that just put fear in people's life, you know, and just so they can keep them engaged, keep them coming, keep them dependent on them. So you need to quit being driven by problems. There are people who are driven by social pressure, all right? They are in church because their friends are there, all right? It is the socially acceptable thing to do in the circle they belong to, all right? So they, you know, they, they like it. They look for nice church. The pastor preaches with iPad. You know, they, they just, I mean, they say, I think this is cool. I can, I can undo this. This is, uh, I can deal with this. They say, oh, yeah, I like it. And I think many people here are probably in that category. <laughs> Not many, a few. All right. Your friends are here, you're here. It's cool to be here, you're here. It's nice, you're here. All right, the problem is when those friends change, then you change. When you find yourself among friends who maybe despise what you do now, then you switch and you no longer do them. So there are people who are like that. It's Social pressure that drives them. They, they're in Christ. They're worshiping God because it is the socially acceptable thing to do in their circle. 
And those are the kind of people who we know them as Christian in church, but at work nobody knows them. Right? They, they still laugh at all those dirty jokes. They, they, they don't want to stand out. They still, you know, blend in as much as they can. Uh, those are the category of people. Now, there's another category who are driven by their family legacy. They are simply serving the God of their parents. And I think, I'm sure a few people are here in that category also. You brought up and your parent told you, you must go to church. In fact, they probably call you every other week. They say, did you go to church on Sunday? (laughs) And I know because I've gotten calls from some of your parents. Pastor, please help me to hold him very well, please. (laughs) (laughs) I get those calls. And they just, you know, the God has never become their God. All right? And, you know, the Jewish, it's a big portion of Jewish people, they were like that. In fact, when they came for baptism, John really told them, look, you must really repent. I would like us to read it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. The Bible said, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. You know, that's what they keep saying. That's what, you know, we are children of Abraham. So we're, you know, God is our God. You know, God promised us. There was a covenant to Abraham, covenant to Isaac, covenant to Jacob. That is our God. Now, they've abandoned the God himself. Uh, At least they still have appearance. They still do some religious stuff. But the essence of the religion was gone. And Jesus, I mean, John said, don't keep saying, oh, my parents, ah, my mom prays a lot. Ah, in fact, I just call my mom. Once I'm... Once I'm going through problem, I call my mom. My mom is going to ah, oh, my mom is going to fire some firepower. <laughs> now, so I've told you seven categories now. Now, really, it doesn't matter how we got here. You know, I think God actually uses many of these means. So it's not to say one is better or is wrong, right? God uses many of these avenues, right, to get us into, to get us close to him, right? Sometimes some of our problems, obviously God used them, our fears, some of the people in our lives that, you know, that gives us the idea of coming to church. God planted them in our lives, right? Some of the things, even sometimes desire for doing great things, for power, you know, if it's well channel, it's not necessarily bad. I think, uh, you know, one of our brothers was sharing a few days ago, uh, Dr. Tunde was sharing something about when they came to Jesus, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, uh, I want to, we want to sit at your right hand, right? We want to be the great. Jesus never really condemned them from seeking to be great, right? He actually told them how to be great. I mean, which is interesting, right? He actually told them, oh, yeah, you want to be great? You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? That's fine. 
But let me just tell you how it happens in the kingdom, right? It's not going to happen by using the worldly principle. So even some of those things are not necessarily wrong, all right? What is wrong is for us never to pivot into the greatest need of man, the greatest desire of God, is people who truly seek him. Hallelujah. What all these seeking or driving or things driving us, what they produce largely is nominal Christianity. All right? Nominal Christians. And that's why the church is full of nominal Christians today. All right? They are churchgoers. They are religious. You know, but their faith really does not go beyond church identification. Even people go around now with church ID cards. Oh, yeah, I've seen people who show their ID that I belong to so-so church. I mean, why they have to show it, I don't know. It's beyond me. <laughs> All right? But, you know, that's, you know, but those are nominal Christians who, the whole thing doesn't go beyond identifying with a church, with a denomination, with a Christian group. It must go beyond that. They are Christians in name only, nominal Christian, right? The essence of Christianity has no bearing on their lives, all right? That's, that's, those are nominal Christians. They attend church. They attend functions. They take Christianity when they have to fill a form, all right? But it is just a label, all right? It is, all, it is simply a social conf, con, construct, it doesn't change them. There is no fundamental change. They have become minimalist, or they take a minimalist approach to their Christianity. And I think Second uh, Peter chapter three. I will read. I will read a few verses there. If you can go to Second Peter chapter three, Paul describes. Apostle Paul describes. You know, it's, it's, it's last day. I believe this is a sign of the end time we live. He said, but know this, that in the latter time, perilous time we come. I believe we're in that time. Men will be lovers of themselves. You know, self-love is what is ruling. <clears throat> lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, I mean, disobedience to authority, you know, which is, we start from parent. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutus, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, haughty rather, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5 gives it out very well. He said, having a form of godly. I want all of us to read verse 5 together. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Let's stop there. You see, all these people he's talking about is saying that they all have forms of godliness. They are religious people. He's talking about religious people, all right, who, has not, who have not experienced a change in their life, in their attitude, in their worldview, in their approach to life. There's no fundamental change. I mean, they might have some cosmetic change, all right? A little bit in change of schedule, 
they now insert God Sunday morning, but it's not more than two hours, you know. If it's serious prayer, you know, I don't do serious prayer. Uh, I, I can do concert once in a while, you know, but serious prayer, uh, serving and being serious, oh, no, no, I can't do that. You know, they, you know that's, we make those, some cosmetic change like that. But fundamental change has not happened. So he's saying we deny the power. You see, the power of Jesus coming into our life is to transform us. It's to bring a fundamental transformation in how we do life completely. Everything. How you think, how you walk, how you dress, how you relate with people, how you treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you conduct yourself at work, how you conduct your wedding, how you conduct anything you do must be changed totally. Because you have encountered Christ. Not, not because some rules we give you, you know. Some people, it's not because somebody gave you some rules. No, because you have encountered him, he has changed you on the inside. Praise the name of Jesus. I don't have much time, but I want to tell you if a, the problem with nominal Christianity. <clears throat> you see, hopefully that will encourage you to really embrace seeking God. I'm hoping at the end of these few weeks, something about every one of us will change. Amen. See, the problem with nominal Christianity is it is joyless and it is unfulfilling. You see, the abundant life that Jesus promised is just not there. Because Jesus said there's, there's life. There's abundant life. Nominal Christianity is joyless. The joy of the Lord is just not there. The excitement that comes from knowing him, knowing your future is secure, knowing he loves you, knowing he cares for you is not there. Now, you experience it maybe when you come to church, you're excited. A few hours outside, a few days outside, you go back to your dryness. You see, if that is your life, it's because you are still a nominal Christian. You see, someone that have an encounter with God, you, it's like you hit a well. You see, when you dig and seek for God, what happens when you really seek God, there will be a time when you hit a well. You know, when you dig, some of you don't get it, all right? <laughs> so that's my African thinking now that it's coming, right? So we, we, we would dig a well. <clears throat> every house will have a well. There was no water supply, so every household must have your own well, all right? So, and, so you get somebody to dig a well for you, all right? And when they hit the water supply down in the water, you know, deep, deep down, then you know you've hit something good and water keeps flowing. That is the essence of Christianity. Hallelujah. And that's why Jesus said, when you are thirsty, anyone that is thirsty, come to me. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters. Jesus told the woman by the well, he said, when you drink this water, it becomes a well inside of you, springing up to everlasting life. It never dries. Hallelujah. You see, nominal Christians, they don't have a well. Yeah, they come here and enjoy 
overflow from other people. And they feel better about their life. They feel hopeful when they're here. You know, but once they go out, they feel dry again. And if that's your life, it's a call for seeking God. Hallelujah. Another problem with being a nominal Christian is you're subject to enemies' manipulation. You see, if what is driving you, for example, is bread, bread will cease. It will take it away temporarily. So you are manipulated. So you are deceived. You know, so you, you know, so, you know, if what is driving you is fire insurance, you're just always going to be minimal. He knows that. You know, he knows he can play with your emotion. If what is driving you is power, you know, he knows how to drive all that. You know, he knows how to manipulate your feeling. If it's gain, if it's life problems, he knows how to keep manufacturing them for you. So you are always in that mode, all right? But when you become God seekers, it changes. Hallelujah. Another problem with uh, nominal Christianity is uh, it, it is it's a life, it produces a Christian life that lacks testimony. And what's the value of a Christian life that people look at and they just say, if this is what Christianity is, uh, why should I go? I've even had stories of people who don't come to this church because they know one or two people in this church. That's all. That's a gap. We play soccer together. We play basketball together. I know how he curses. I know what he does. And he claims to be, you know, that's a nominal Christian. Instead of you to go out there and shine as light, right? What happens is you embarrass Jesus. In fact, this was referred to in Romans chapter 2, verse 24. He said, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So it's better for you not to be here at all because you've taken away from him. It's better for you not to identify with Jesus at all. You know, you have bumper sticker. You have all these things and you go around. Hallelujah. But there's no life to show. He blasphemed the name of God. That's nominal Christianity. That's what he does. And he produces, you see, the worst part, or second to the worst part, is that he produces a life. You will die a shadow of yourself. You know, if you, do, if you just keep on being nominal Christian, that is, you will never become what God wants you to become. I mean, and I don't want you to go through life like that, to just add to the wealth in the symmetry. Never become what God has made you to be. All right? That's a, that's a problem. And the last one is, is irritating to God. You know, Jesus said it out loud this year, right? That you are neither cold nor hot. And what will I do? See, I'm a coffee drinker. I know what that means very well. I mean, nobody drinks lukewarm coffee. You know, coffee is either cold, you know, or hot. I mean, if it's lukewarm, you accidentally put it in your mouth. What do you do? At least people who know coffee, right? People who are serious coffee drinkers. I'm not talking about people who drink coffee because somebody else is drinking it beside them. Where are my coffee drinkers in the house? Hallelujah. Oof. 
Hallelujah. Okay, I think we are going to start our coffee drinkers ministry, one of these, <laughs> or club. Examine the health of coffee, right? Uh, hallelujah. So it's important to know that nominal Christianity does not benefit you, does not benefit God, does not benefit the church, does not benefit people around you. So it's either you are not there at all or you are all in. Hallelujah. My challenge for you is to be all in. Hallelujah. Now, my challenge is for you to become God seekers. People will seek God. If you, have, if you come in like me through any of these seven ways we talk about, right? You must pivot at some point. Something must happen that changes that, all right? That really just say, you know what? I no longer just want to be nominal. I want to really seek God. I want to really seek God. So there must be a pivoting that will take place in your life. You see, God chasers or God seekers, very few of them really begin their life like Apostle Paul. You know, there are very few who are from day one. Boom, they hit the right tone. All right? Apostle Paul was that. We came to Christ with an encounter. Right? The encounter was definite. He changed him, changed his taste board, changed his ambition almost instantaneously. Most of us will never have that experience. All right? Most of us will come in through all these other means, but there must be a change at some point in your life where there's an encounter, all right? Encounter with Christ, you know, and that encounter will bring a change, all right? It's a true encounter with Jesus that will bring a change in your life, a change in your desire, your attitude, your appetite, your perspective, everything about you. When you meet people who are God-seekers, Everything has changed. The way they see the world is different. The way they see problem is different. The way they see wealth is different. The way they see money is different. The way they see women is different. The way they see men is different. Everything about them has been changed. Because they are not nominalists. They are God-seekers. I'm praying that God will produce God-seekers in you in the mighty name of Jesus. God-seekers have passed through refinement of motive. All right? Now, what we're, what, what, one, of, one of the things I'm talking, I've been talking about is the motive, most of us, the motive aren't pure somehow. There's, just, there's still an element of that. And God is fine with that. God is fine with that for a while. God is it's okay. In fact, he used this thing to to bring us closer so we can see him. Just like Jesus said, look, I perform this miracle as a sign so that you can come, right? But sign is not an end in itself. Sign must take you to a destination, right? You don't follow sign. You follow, you're going to a destination, right? Sign are only there to assist you to get to destination, right? So he said, Jesus said, you just came for the bread, not because you want to examine beyond the bread. 
and he accused some people, you just come for the miracles, right? You are not willing to examine beyond the miracle, all right? So when we go through an encounter with God, he refines that, you know, he refines that. You know, we, you know, we see a story of a, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel, right? Their motive, their heart is being refined. So when the king said, you know what? If you don't bow, we're going to throw you into the fire. What did they say? They said, oh, king, we are fine. I said, because we know our God will deliver us. But they said, you know, wait a minute, so that just to let you know, even if God chooses not to, we're still not going to bow. That's important. They say, if God says, you know, that's how we're going to die by fire, we're not fire insurance Christians. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're not in this business to avoid fire. We're in this business to please God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I am praying that that will be your desire. You know, people who are like that, the enemy leaves them alone. You see, you know, the enemy leave Job, left Job alone after he discovered that there's nothing I do to this guy that is going to change him. Because at some point he said, even if God kills me, I will still serve him. Let's look for somebody else. I mean, there are people, yeah. <laughs> there are people who will leave God just in a minute. I mean, let's go for those people. There are people who will just abandon their faith. You know, just some few problems here and there, roadblock, robot. They will say, is it only me that is serving God? And they will just go. There are people like that. He knows. So when he, once he discovers that you are not leaving, you are not stopping, all right? You are not stopping. Your praise is not going to stop. You are worshiping. You know, your life, you have you are become like the apostle. When everybody went away, Jesus said, are you not going to go? They said, to whom shall we go? Shall we go? I mean, where? Where else am I going to go? If God can provide it, then I don't need it. Hallelujah. I am praying that that will be your resolve. Hallelujah. You know what, what David said? David said, as the deer pant after the water. Psalm 42. My soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet my God? I mean, that's his heart. That's the kind of heart I want, seekers have. You know, seekers, God has walked them. God has dealt with them. They've had an encounter with Jesus. They've tasted, and in their heart, they yearn for more of him. They, they said, as the deer. You know how the deer pants after the water? After the deer has run to and fro, and they see water, and they go for it. He said, as the deer pants after the water, that is how my soul. I want to ask you. Does your soul seek God like that? Does your soul, do you think of your prayer time and you say, you know, I just want to seek him? Do you think of God and that is your heart? Those are the people God is looking for. There is still that wanted sign, you know, that God put out there. God seekers, always wanted. Hallelujah. And that's the end of my message today. We're going to continue next week. But I want us to pray that God will make us seekers. You know, he will deliver for all, from all these other means. You know, there will be a change. I want us to rise up. Let's just rise up. You can play some music. I think it will be, it will be good. Let's just 
Can we just lift up our hands and just ask him, Lord, please change my heart. 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 Can we sing as the deer pant after the water? Can we just sing that song? Thank you, Jesus. The water so my soul longer after you. For the real thing, not just for bread, not just for fame, not just for survival, not just to avoid hell, but to really seek you, to really seek you, to become what David said as the deer, like a deer, panting for the water. In the mighty name of Jesus, to make you the one thing that I seek, to make you the one thing that I seek. Thank you, Jesus. It is my desire to
by the enemy in the mighty name of Jesus Lord make that our experience and the experience of everyone here today in Jesus name while all eyes closed I'd like to pray for some people you, you really want an encounter with Jesus I mean you've gone to church you've done but you don't have an encounter with him I'd like to pray for you. All eyes closed, please. Please raise up your hands. I'd like to pray for you. I just believe the Lord wants some people here need an encounter. Amen. God bless you. Raise that hand. Raise it very well so I can see it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. May God bless you. I want you to put your hands in your chest. That hand, put it on your chest. Father, I'm praying for an encounter. Not an encounter with me, not an encounter with the church. Lord, I'm asking that each of this person, we encounter you. They will get to know you for who you are. Until people really meet you, any other person, people can lie against about you for them. But I'm praying that their faith will go from just nomina to an, a, an encounter-based faith. In the mighty name of Jesus. I'm praying, Jesus, you will reveal yourself to them in a deeper way, in a powerful way. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.